0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, guys, we've, we've been going through the book of Philippians... And we've
1: entitled our series as we've been going through it. Today we're going to go right into chapter 4, The Struggle for Joy. Joy is a theme throughout the book of Philippians, and it's something that Paul encourages us to find our joy in Christ continually. In fact, as we look at the first seven verses today, we're going to see that, again, he's going to tell us to rejoice in Christ, to find our joy in Christ. But you and I know that the Christian life isn't easy. Living for Jesus isn't easy. This life is not easy. Stuff happens. Life happens. Difficulties happen. We wake up. We go to the doctor. We get a terrible report. We don't know what we're going to do. And the reality is is that sometimes the, the, trying to find joy is, is a struggle. And, and I need to make mention of this. When we talk about joy, we're not talking about happiness. Did you understand what I'm saying? God's not interested in your happiness. Because happiness is fleeting. Did you understand what I'm saying? Happiness is an emotion, a feeling that can just flip away or come. You can be happy about sinning. Did you understand what I'm saying? But joy, joy is found in, 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 God, in, in understanding who He is and your love, His love for you and the Gospel and the reality that He died for you. That he gave his life for you. That no matter what's going on, your completeness and your understanding of God sustains you even through the difficulties that you go through. And you can have joy in Christ in the midst of all that you're going through. And we've been we've been looking at that and the reality of that. And so today we're going to be in chapter 4. And we're going to see that he's going to, again, give us an encouragement to keep on. To keep going forward. And so he's going to talk today about attitudes that we need to have. He's going to talk about unity that we need to have among ourselves because many things can arise that will rob you of your joy in Christ, that will discourage you from moving forward. Remember, he talked about that, about pressing forward to the prize that we have in Christ. And sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. But the apostle encourages us to move forward in our relationship with him. So let's look at it today. We're going to look through seven verses, and we're going to see the issue of plodding on. Do you know what it means to plod on? It means just to keep going no matter what's happening. And that's what we need to do. I mean, a lot of you have expressed that you want to have a deeper relationship with Christ. But sometimes you just got to plod on towards that no matter what's happening around you. So look with me. Look with me at verse... Verse one of chapter four, Philippians, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implored Eudea and, and I implored Sinchi to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What we can do, folks, is is we can take these seven verses, and and basically we can divide it into three sections here. We're going to see, first of all, in verse 1, an encouragement. You and I need to be continually encouraged. We're going to see that. We're going to see a plea for unity. Verses 2 and 3 is going to talk about two ladies who, who are having a problem with each other, and we're going to see a plea for unity and how that applies to you and I. And then when we get to verses 4 through 7, we're going to see the proper attitudes that we need to have. The proper attitude as we're plodding on, as we're, we're moving forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the encouragement first of all. Let's look at verse 1. Look at what he says there. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Here's the first thing I want you to recognize. Number one, I want you to recognize that you're special. You know the apostle is writing this church. He's writing from prison, and when he writes them, he's writing with affectionate terms to his readers. He's he's got several words that he's using there that that really express how he views them, how he sees them. Look at what he says there. My beloved, that's a that's a term of affection. They are they're they're someone that he longs for and loves deeply. In fact, he says that my long for brethren. He wants to be with them. He calls them what? His joy. And what else does he say? His crown. You and I need to recognize that the first thing that we have to understand, that when we look as far as the struggle of living that life for Jesus, you've got to grasp in your mind how you are viewed by the Scripture and by God And allow that to permeate your mind and your heart as you live your life for Christ. Because so often, the reality is, is you and I are going to struggle, we're going to fail, things aren't going to go well, and initially the enemy will come to you and say, well, you obviously must not be a good Christian, because this wouldn't be happening to you. In fact, let's be honest, there's a a lie that is out there in the church today that says that everything will go well for you if you're a believer. My friends, that's a lie. That's a lie. No amount of faith is going to make things well. You live in a fallen world where stuff goes wrong. You live in a world where where stuff happens, and it may have nothing to do with you or your faith. It just happens to be the world we live in. And if you listen to the lie, you will always be defeated. You'll always think that God thinks of you as less than. But He doesn't. You know when I look at that when Paul describes his readers as his joy, my mind goes back to the scripture where it talks about God takes delight in me he finds pleasure in me I, I kind of think of that like a dad you know parents you, you realize that when your kids do well you find what pleasure in them you know what I'm saying when they're when they're when they're scoring a touchdown or or they they may score points in a basketball game or when they're doing well in a performance. Or even when the little ones do what they do. You find you had you take what? Pleasure in them. They bring you joy. See, this is what you and I need to understand. You're special. You need to recognize that. Don't allow this world, and the enemy to, to communicate anything different to you about your relationship with Christ. You're special. Understand that. Here, here's the other thing he says here. Look at what he says here. He says to stand fast in the Lord. And again, he calls Him beloved. He says stand fast. Now, what's that word stand fast there mean? It means to persevere. It means to hang on. So the second thing he's telling us here is is that you and I need to persevere in the Lord. You need to hang on. Yes, the days will be rough. Yes, you'll have a week or a month or even a year where things aren't going right. You ever had a year where things weren't going right? Wow. It just seems like when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? And you're wanting a breath of fresh air and it isn't coming. And the encouragement is, is for you and I to what? Hang on. Hang on. Stand fast, he says, in the Lord. What does that mean? That I find my strength to carry on in who? Jesus. Not my Wheaties in the morning. Do you know what I'm saying? Not somebody else's encouragement. But it's Christ who gives me the strength who encourages me to move forward. So I'm going to stand for So that's the encouragement. Recognize that you're special, and you hold on. You hang on. You keep going on. You plod on. But he has to stop for a moment, because the reality is, is that we are human beings, aren't we? And when you have a church, you've got people in the church. They're different personalities, different experiences. And, and we're not all sweet and wonderful here. Do you recognize that? And and, and the reality is, is that somebody's going to what? Rub you wrong. Have you noticed that in church? Have you noticed that you're not uh, somebody? I mean, maybe they didn't even intend to do you wrong. It's just that you woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning and you took everything wrong. And the reality is that difficulties arise. Some of you are smiling. You know what I'm talking about. The reality is is this we will conflict with each other, won't we? So he's got to give this plea for unity because obviously in this, this Philippian church, they had two ladies who were conflicting with each other. And who knows what the issue was? They didn't say what the issue was. You don't need to speculate. But the reality is, is that they they weren't coming together. They were conflicting, and when they were conflicting, and here's the reality of this is what it is in church when you've got parts of the body of Christ conflicting with each other. That affects everybody. And so he gives a, a plea for unity here. And I want you to notice a couple things he does here. Look with me, verse two. Look at what he says there. I implore you, Dea and I implore Sinchi to be of the same mind in the Lord. So what's he he talking about there, George? The same mind. Is he saying that they need to think alike? I mean, right now, they're, they're probably far from thinking alike. they got their two different positions here. What's he talking about here? Here's what he's talking about. Same mind. He's not talking about that they think the same way. He's talking about their harmony. We need to live in harmony with each other. They need to come to a same mind in Christ. We're going to see that in a moment. They've got to have a, an ultimate purpose together. We're going to see that in verse 3. But the reality is they've got to come to a unity together. You know, like, for instance, can I be honest with you? Let's talk about it. You know, when we, here we are as a church. And I can already tell you that a lot of you don't think the way that I think. You're like, I'm so glad for that, George. You know, you know, I vote for people, you hate who I vote for. Now, I don't tell you who I vote for, okay? Uh You tell me who you vote for, I want to be honest with you. Some of you, who you vote for, I hate who you vote for. Now, I won't tell you what that is either, so we'll leave everybody. You know, some of you, you root for the Steelers, yay! Some of you root for the Eagles, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, you know. We're not going to name names here, Tom. Okay? Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we, is it possible when you talk about that? Okay? Listen to me. I just mentioned two things right there that immediately raise up: uh, politics and what? Sports. But you and I can live harmoniously, even in spite of those two things. How? Because our basis of our unity isn't who you vote for. And the basis of our unity isn't who you're rooting for. Do you know what I mean? Because notice what he says in verse 3. He, he reminds these two ladies. He reminds that church of something. He says, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, for Clement also and for the rest of than the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. See, our greater purpose is the message of the gospel. That's where our unity comes from. Whatever that is that they're conflicting apart about, whatever it is that they're fighting about, that needs to be they need to come to a place of unity with a greater purpose. Because the fact of the matter is, is, can I be honest with you, I find this true in all church conflicts. There's a level, actually a very high level of selfishness. It no longer becomes what the issue is, it becomes who's right. Did you ever notice that about church fights? Now, thankfully, we've not experienced that here very much in the last few years. But it's always an issue of who's right, selfishness. And if I'm right, and it becomes to it's, it's only going to be settled when I'm right, no no, it's not a question of who's right, it's a question of the gospel. It's a question of that's what our purpose is. And we can agree to disagree. So if you want to wear a red-skin jersey here, we love you, we'll wonder why you're doing that, but we'll love you. You know, if you want to communicate you're voting for who and most people aren't voting for them, hey, we'll still love you. We won't talk about it with you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Our unity is based in the gospel. So he's saying here, why is this so important? It's because we're talking about plotting on. Because as you're moving on in your relationship with Jesus, you are going to come in conflict with who? Somebody else. Does everybody understand that? I mean, mean, let's let's not live with our hands in the cloud, like, everything's going to be wonderful forever because I love Jesus. No, the reality is is if you interact with people, somebody's going to rub you wrong, you're going to rub somebody wrong. Does everybody understand that? That's just reality. The question is, is what do we do about it? How do we handle it? And what he's saying here to us is what? Live harmoniously. Doesn't mean you have to agree with each other. But you have a greater purpose in mind. A greater calling. The gospel. So then he goes on and he's going to talk about, tell us about some proper attitudes. Look with me, verse 4 through verse 7. He's going to tell us about proper attitudes. Number one, look at the first thing he tells us. Again, he's done this four times. This is his fourth time in this letter. Look what he says in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's he saying here? Always find your joy in Christ. Always. Find your joy in Christ. Because here's the reality, folks. I want you to listen to me. It is possible to have joy in the midst of the stuff we go through. Seriously. Some of you think, well, there's no way. You don't understand the stuff I'm going through right now. And it's been like this for a long time. And I I just don't think I can have joy. You can have joy in Christ. If you understand what he did for you. If you understand his unconditional acceptance of you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you understand who you are and the depth of his love for you in spite of you. If you understand what your destiny was without him and the fact that he loved you enough to die for you. And the hope and the promise that he gives us, that even in spite of what it is here, you have a hope for something better in the future. You can have joy in the midst of the difficulties and the sadness and the terrible things that happen in this life. You can have joy. Now, you may not be happy, but you can have joy. Because you're holding on for something better. Holding on for something. So the proper attitude I'm going to have is, I'm going to always find my joy in Jesus. Because, folks, that's where only joy can be found. Is in that relationship with Christ. Here's the the other thing he says. The second attitude there. Be gentle in your actions towards others. Look with me at verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. What's he saying here? He's saying, you know what? I'm plotting on us, I'm living for Him. I'm also not just going to find my joy in Christ always. I'm going to be in my actions towards others. Be gentle. I'm going to be marked by gentleness. Now, you know, when I was reading this verse this this verse this week as I was studying, I'm going to be honest with you. I got convicted. I got convicted because, I'm going to be honest with you, there is one type of person that I am not gentle with. Telemarketers. <laughs> not even just telemarketers, customer service on the phone. You know, and after you've been waiting for an hour to talk to somebody, you're, you're, you're beside yourself. And I got convicted because sometimes George is not gentle. It's not sometimes. George is not gentle. And my wife will hear me in the background, and she'll say to me, and and I love my wife, and I don't want to hear it at the moment, but she'll say to me, are you seriously think that's right to talk to them that way? Those are not her words. Those are my words, and she has a better way of saying it. But I got convicted by this verse because what he's saying here as is I'm plotting on in life. And as things go wrong, and let's be honest, that's part of things going wrong, right? You need to be known... As somebody who's gentle towards others. And here's the reason why he tells us that. Look at the last part of verse 5 there. I think it's interesting. He makes a statement there, and the statement is for you and I. You let your gentleness be known to all men. The next statement tells you why the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? i got to give an account. i got to live in such a way that recognizes Jesus could be coming back today. Do I really want to act that way towards somebody? So how are you talking to the clerk at Walmart? You know what I mean? When you're waiting 15 minutes for somebody to show up in that department and you should have been left 10 minutes ago? How are you talking to the waitress who got your order wrong at McDonald's? Or somebody in some department somewhere in some state office? Seriously. Stop talking to myself when I say that, because I know that none of you do that, right? But what is he saying here as we're plodding on? You know, I'm going to find my joy in Jesus, but the next thing he tells me, I think it's interesting. Rejoice in the Lord always. very next thing he's talking about how I live my life. not just how I live my life, how I am towards other people. So I need to allow my life to be what? Marked by gentleness. He goes on, he moves on to verse 6. A lot of us know verse 6 and 7. I quote it all the time. It's a very real verse for me. Let me read it to you. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. First thing he's going to tell us here is don't be consumed with worry. If you're going to be plodding on in your relationship with Christ, you cannot allow yourself to be consumed with worry. That's what he means here when he says, be anxious for nothing. Do you know what I mean about being anxious? I, I remember times when I first entered into ministry, I'd get anxious about stuff that happened in a church. Lori will tell you, she would, she would yell at me to go to another room to try and sleep because I would be up all night oh, thinking about what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now, you're laughing at me because I know some of you have sleepless nights about the stuff in your life. And I don't even have to be in your house to know that. I know because we're worriers. We get bothered by the stuff that happens in our lives. And he's saying that if you're going to be plotting on, you need not be anxious. You don't need to worry. Don't be consumed with worry. Why? Because notice what he says there. The next thing he says is, find God's peace for you through prayer. You pray about it. You go to him and you tell him what's bothering you. And you allow his peace to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I've shared this before. It's probably been a long time since I've shared it. But I remember... It's almost been twenty years ago. Twenty years um nineteen years ago, Lori and I went to our first church in Canada. And uh we spent four years there. They were four years of living in the fire. Now some of that I'm sure had to do with my immaturity as as a young pastor. Some of that had to do with the church. And and I can remember times in our last year there things were not going well, and I remember every evening Lori and I would talk to each other, and I would say to her, "You, you go ahead on the bed, I'm going to pray a little bit because I, I'm I'm worrying about what how the things are going at the church." And, and I would pray, and I would say, God, I God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to get through this. And I don't, Lord, you know this situation, and you know what's happening with these people. And, and I would just pour out my heart to God about what was going on, and, and I would say, God, give me wisdom. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, folks, He never told me what to do. Or maybe it's good, as I look back on it now, because I probably couldn't have handled it. But I will tell you what he did do. And I can recall it. He gave me a peace. A sense of peace. Beyond anything I've ever had before. It was almost like, okay, George, I understand. I'm there with you. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't tell me it was going to be rosy. He didn't tell me everything was going to be perfect. In fact, it wasn't. We had to leave. But he gave me a peace, and that carried us through, through all the garbage, through all the junk. It helped us to plod on. Do you understand now why he says don't worry? Don't be consumed with worry. You pray. You go to him and let your requests be made known to him, and let what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Notice is Isn't that interesting? Notice what he says there. Your minds. Because isn't that where you're worrying? You're thinking it through? You're, I mean, it's, if, if you're like me, when stuff happens. Mine's like a barbecue grill with a rotisserie. And I'm just mulling it over, mulling it over. And and I'm, I'm applying the barbecue sauce of all my what I think I should do to it. And it just builds it into a bigger case. But the peace of God guards my mind so I can go on for the next day you see the proper attitude here? The proper attitude is, is, is as I'm plodding on, I'm going to find my joy in Christ always. I'm going to act gentleness towards others. I'm not going to be consumed with worry. Why? Because I'm going to my God and finding my peace in Him. To carry on. To plod on.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning.